ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد سن لاست ليسون in Bulugh al-Maram, we were discussing the topic regarding the recitation of Al-Fatiha in the prayer. And we mentioned those different opinions of the scholars with regards to the obligation of reciting the Fatiha in every raka'ah. To summarize that then, one opinion was that it is an obligation upon every individual to recite the Fatiha in every raka'ah. One opinion was that it is an obligation upon every individual to recite Al-Fatiha in every raka'ah. Whether the person is the Imam or the person is being led by the Imam, he's in the congregation, or whether the person is praying by himself, in any circumstance, then one opinion was that every individual when they are praying must recite Al-Fatiha in every single raka'ah. That is due to some of the narrations, لا صلاة لمن لم يقرأ بفاتحة الكتاب There is no prayer for the one who does not recite the Fatiha, the Fatiha of the Qur'an, the opening chapter Al-Fatiha. The second opinion was, that it is an obligation upon the Imam, the Imam, the one who is leading the prayer, then it is an obligation upon the Imam to recite, and it is an obligation upon somebody who is praying by themselves, not in congregation. It is an obligation upon the Imam, and somebody who is praying by themselves, not in congregation. Remember we said there's only three possibilities. Either you are the Imam, or you are being led by the Imam in the congregation, or you are praying by yourself outside of a congregation. One of three possibilities. The second opinion said, if you are the Imam, or one of the people, uh, if you are the Imam, or you are praying by yourself, then in those two circumstances you must recite the Fatiha in every raka'ah. If, however, you are in the congregation being led by an imam, then they say it is uh, sufficient that the imam recites for you, i.e. the imam's recitation covers you, and you do not have to recite the Fatiha in that case. Even though they said it is still preferable for the person in the congregation to try to recite whilst the imam pauses, or if there are times where the imam poses, then the person in the congregation attempts to recite in those gaps. The third opinion is that it is an obligation upon the one being led in the congregation in the silent prayers. As for the loud prayers, then it is sufficient, the recitation of the Imam. So the third opinion is, 
that the Imam must recite. The person praying by himself must recite. As for the one who is being led in the prayer, he is one of the congregation, then he must recite in the silent prayers. In the silent ones he must recite, but in the loud ones when the Imam is reciting, then in those raka'at the recitation of the Imam is sufficient. So they were the three opinions, and this third opinion, that is what is apparent to be the opinion of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, that in the loud prayers, in the raka'at where the imam is reciting, then that is sufficient for you if you are in the congregation being led by that imam. And if it is a silent prayer, then in those prayers, the recitation of the imam does not suffice you, because you cannot even hear the imam. So in those prayers, then you must recite yourself. That is the third opinion regarding the Fatiha. So moving on from there, the next hadith, عن نعيم المجمر قال صليت وراء أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه فقرأ نعيم, ابن نعيم المجمر he says that I prayed behind Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه he says I prayed behind Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه فقرأ and so he read Abu Huraira read بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ثم قرأ بأم القرآن So the narrator Nu'aym al-Mujmir says that he prayed behind Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه And he says that Abu Huraira recited بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين That he recited the بسم الله the basmala then he went on to recite the Fatiha. Until when Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه got to the point, قال, he then said at that point, Amin. When he got to the Waladdalin, then Abu Huraira said, Amin. ويقول كلما سجد وإذا قام من الجلوس الله أكبر and he would say every time he prostrated and he got up from the sitting he would say الله أكبر in those movements in between moving from the prostration and getting up uh, and in between the prostrations getting up he would say, Allahu Akbar. ثُمَّ يَقُولُ إِذَا سَلَّمَ Then he would say, when giving the salam at the end, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِ بِيَدِهِ إِنِّي لَأَشْبَهُكُمْ صَلَاةً بِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وسلم. So at the end, when Abu Huraira would give the salam and finish the prayer, then he said to them, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِ بِيَدِهِ By the one whom... My soul is in his hand. Inni la ashbahukum salatan bi Rasulillah. That I pray the most accurate in accordance to how the Prophet ﷺ used to pray. That I pray in the most precise manner similar to how the Prophet ﷺ used to pray. I.e. he was telling them that this manner that I pray in, that is the most accurate and closest way to what the Prophet ﷺ used to pray from amongst all of you. 
الشيخ الفوزان حفظه الله says في هذا الحديث أن أبا هريرة رضي الله عنها صلى بالصحابة in this hadith it mentions that Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه prayed with the companions he led the companions وجهر ببسم الله الرحمن الرحيم and that he recited the basmalah بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم loud in this narration it mentions that Abu Huraira led them led the companions رضي الله عنهم and he recited بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم out loud in the prayer فَاسْتَدَلَّ بَعْضُ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ وَمِنْهُمُ الشَّافِعِي عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْبَسْمَلَةَ آيَةً مِنَ الْفَاتِحَةَ فَيَجِبُ الْجَهْرُ بِهَا So some of the scholars based upon this narration and what Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه did in this particular occasion or as it's mentioned that he did he recited the بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم out loud in the prayer and then carried on, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. So some of the scholars use this as an evidence to say, as part of their evidences, to say that the Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim is actually an ayah from Surah Al-Fatiha. Some of the scholars, they hold the opinion that Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim is actually the first ayah of Surah Al-Fatiha. And so therefore, if that Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim is the first ayah of Surah Al-Fatiha, it becomes an obligation to recite also. Al-Fatiha is the obligation to recite. And so if you take the opinion that Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim is actually the first ayah of Surah Al-Fatiha, then therefore you must recite that too. So some of the scholars used that deduction to say therefore that the Bismillah the Bismillah, the Basmala, it must be recited. Like Al-Imam Shafi'i, Rahimahullah. Lakin qulna, the Shaykh says, however, we have already mentioned, بِأَنَّ غَالِبَ الْأَدِلَّةِ عَلَىٰ عَدَمِ الْجَهَرِ That the majority of evidences, the majority of evidences indicate that you do not recite Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim out loud. فَلَوْ فَعَلَهُ بَعْضَ الْأَحْيَانِ فَلَا بَأْسَ بِذَلِكِ نَظَرًا لِوُرُودِهِ فِي مِثْلِ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ However, Sheikh Al-Fawzan says, if somebody did it on some occasion, then لَا بَأْسَ We wouldn't say that there's a major issue with that, that there's any harm in that, if somebody did it on the odd occasion. Due to the fact that there are some of these narrations that mention the Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, the Basmala being recited loud, like in this narration that Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu did it. So Shaykh al-Fawzan says the majority of the evidences indicate you don't do it loud. But if somebody did it on the other occasion, then we don't make an issue of it, due to some of these narrations, and that is what Shaykh al-Fawzan says regarding it. هذه ثم هناك مسألة أخرى. Then there is another issue in this hadith. وهي قول آمين بعد قراءة الفاتحة للإمام والمأموم والمنفرد. And that is the issue of saying آمين at the end of الفاتحة. غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين 
and then saying Amin. So this issue of saying the Amin for the Imam and the one being led in the prayer or the one praying by himself in all three of those circumstances. Kullun minhum yaqul All of them, whether you are the Imam or you are in the congregation being led by the Imam or if you were by yourself somewhere praying by yourself. In all of those circumstances then you say Amin ba'da qira'atil fatiha after the recitation of al-fatiha wayajharu biha fil jahriyyah and in the loud prayers in the loud prayers the first two well the full prayer of fajr the two rak'at the first two rak'at of al-maghrib and the first two rak'at of al-isha in those loud prayers then you recite al-fatiha loudly and then you also say the amin loudly وَمَعْنَا آمِينَ And what is the meaning of آمين? The meaning of it is Allahumma stajib It is what they term as an ismu fi'il uh, A noun that indicates a verbal action Meaning that when you say آمين You are requesting from Allah to accept your dua You're saying, oh Allah accept from us آمين Accept what? What are you asking Allah to accept? All of that which you've recited in Surah Al-Fatiha. Surah Al-Fatiha, it's a dua. The whole of Surah Al-Fatiha, you are making a dua. Awwaluha dua, ibadah. Wa huwa thana, ala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa akhiruha dua, mas'ala. Ihdina sirat al-mustaqim. Hada dua, mas'ala. Fahiyya tashtamilu ala naw'id dua. Dua al-ibadah wa dua al-mas'alah. The whole of al-Fatiha is a supplication. The whole of al-Fatiha is a supplication. The opening parts of al-Fatiha, they are what's known as dua ibadah. The dua of worship, which is that you are praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. All praises due to Allah, the Lord of all of creation. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. From the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the most beautiful and perfect of names, that is praise to Allah, Maliki Yawmiddin, the one who is in control of the day of judgment. All of this is praise for Allah. Then on top of that, towards the end of Al-Fatiha, there is another type of dua, and that is the dua of Mas'ala, meaning that you are now requesting and making dua for something. What is that that you are asking for? Ihdina sirat al-mustaqim. Guide us to the straight path. Keep us upon that straight path. Guide us to that straight path. The guidance of Ad-Dalala. Showing us the way. And At-Tawfiq. Giving us that understanding and insight in our hearts to accept. So you are asking Allah for that guidance. To be upon that straight path. And you are asking Allah to protect you from the path of those whom Allah's anger is upon. And those who went astray. So the whole of Al-Fatiha is a dua. So at the end of this dua you say, Ameen. I.e. O Allah accept from us. Accept this dua from us and give us what we are requesting in this dua. And that is why an individual says, Ameen. At the end of it, Ameen. فَهُوَ يَطْلُبُ مِنَ اللَّهِ أَنْ يَسْتَجِيبَ هَذَا الدُّعَا بِنَوْعَيْهِ 
So a person is asking from Allah that Allah accepts from him and responds to him and gives him this dua that he has made in both types. فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْجَهْرَ بِآمِينَ بَعْدَ الْفَاتِحَةِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ الْجَهْرِيَّةِ أَنَّهُ سُنَّةِ So this hadith indicates, and the evidences indicate that saying Ameen loudly in the loud prayers in Fajr and in the first two raka'at of Maghrib and the first two raka'at of Isha to say the Ameen out loud, it is from the sunnah to do so. لِأَنَّ أَبَا هُرَيْرَةَ فَعَلَهُ وَنَسَبَهُ إِلَى الرَّسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم Because Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه did it in this hadith. However, what if somebody says, well, that's the action of the companion and it's not from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. How do we respond to that? This actual hadith itself, because at the end of the hadith, what did Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه say? That I am the closest to the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. This prayer that I'm praying, it is the closest in resemblance to the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. So what he was doing and the actions he was doing in that prayer, he was attributing them to the Prophet ﷺ. Saying that I am simply copying what the Prophet ﷺ used to do in the prayer. So he is attributing these actions to the Prophet ﷺ. So this Ameen when he said it loud... He is attributing that as a part of his resemblance of the prayer to the Prophet ﷺ. Saying that he copied that from the Prophet ﷺ. So that indicates that this was, uh, or it is being attributed to the Prophet ﷺ, that the Prophet ﷺ said the Ameen. Also on top of that, the hadith says, يَقُولُ كُلَّمَا سَجَدَ وَإِذَا قَامَ مِنَ الْجُلُوسِ اللَّهُ أَكْبَرُ That every time he would prostrate and come up from sitting down, that he would say, Allahu Akbar, in between those movements. So this is another issue now. And that is what's known as تَكْبِيرَاتُ الْإِنْتِقَالِ the Allahu Akbar that you say when you move from one position in the prayer to another position. The takbir that you say. So you say the Allahu Akbar to go into the ruku'ah. You say the Allahu Akbar to go into the prostration. The Allahu Akbar to come out of the prostration. Then the Allahu Akbar to go back into the prostration. Allahu Akbar to arise and stand for the second raka'ah. Every time you move from one position to the next, those movements are accompanied with the takbir, Allahu Akbar. They are termed or named as the takbir of movement, of transference from one position to the next. So these takbirat are mentioned here. So the shaykh says, فَإِذَا رَكَعَ When a person is going to go into ruku' you say Allahu Akbar. And this is what's known as the takbirat of movement from one position to the next. وَهِيَ وَاجِبٌ مِنْ وَاجِبَاتِ الصَّلَاةِ And they are an obligation from the obligations of the prayer. أَمَّا تَكْبِيرَةُ الْإِحْرَامِ فَهِيَ رُكْنٌ مِنْ أَرْكَانِ الصَّلَاةِ Except for one of those takbirs. All of them are obligations. They must be done. Obligations. And if you forget them, then you prostrate the prayer of forgetfulness apart from one of them. 
One of the takbirs is not just an obligation, it is a pillar of the prayer. And that is the first one. Takbiratul Ihram. When you're going to start your prayer at the beginning, you're facing the Kaaba, you're standing up, you raise your hands and you say, Allahu Akbar, and then you place your hands on your chest. That's when you started the prayer now. That opening takbir, when you start the prayer, that's a pillar from the pillars of the prayer. As for the remainder of the takbirat, when you move from one position to the next, then those takbirat, they are obligations, wajibat. ثُمَّ يَقُولُ إِذَا سَلَّمَهُ Then Abu Huraira used to say, or he said on this occasion when he gave the salam at the end, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ By the one whom my soul is in his hand, إِنِّي لَأَشْبَهُكُمْ صَلَاةً بِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ That I am the closest in resemblance to the prayer of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم from amongst you. رَوَاهُ النَّسَائِ وَابْنِ خُزَيْمَةِ Narrated by An-Nasai, Sunan An-Nasai, and Ibn Khuzayma. The Shaykh says, هَذَا فِيهِ حِرْصُ الصَّحَابَةِ This indicates to you the extreme enthusiasm of the companions to cling to the Sunnah and to be firm and gripping to that Sunnah. عَلَى الْاِكْتِدَاءِ بِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم Shows how firm they were and how enthusiastic they were. How much zeal they had to cling to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to the extent that in this narration at the end, Abu Huraira took an oath that by Allah, this prayer I am resembling it and copying as the Prophet ﷺ used to pray. Shows how much zeal they had to show and to cling to that straight path, to cling to the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ. Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu takes an oath by Allah, this prayer is resembling Close in copying the example of the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. And that is because the Shaykh says, Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, shahada salat al-Rasul ﷺ, wa'aqalaha wa rawaha. Because Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, he witnessed the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. He witnessed and he prayed with the Prophet ﷺ and he saw the Prophet ﷺ praying. So he witnessed that, and he understood that, he understood that, he witnessed it, he learnt it, and he narrated it. Then after that, the next hadith, which is also the hadith of Abu Huraira, radiallahu anhu, قال, قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم, إذا قرأتم الفاتحة فقرأوا بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم. فَإِنَّهَا إِحْدَى آيَاتِهَا رواه الدارقطني وصوب وقفه This first narration now of Abu Huraira says that the Prophet said if you recite or when you recite the Fatiha when you recite the Fatiha then recite بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم because that is one of the ayat of Surah Al-Fatiha. If you recite the Fatiha, then recite Bismillah rahman rahim at the beginning. Because that is one of the ayat of Surah Al-Fatiha. This is narrated by Dara Qutni. However, he considers that this hadith, it is from the statement of Abu Huraira, and not actually the statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam.
This hadith, of course, it will be used by those scholars who consider that the basmala must be recited. And that the basmala is one of the ayat of Surah Al-Fatiha. However, many of the scholars have indicated that this hadith, it is not actually attributable to the Prophet ﷺ. The chain of narration is not linked all the way up to the Prophet ﷺ. So many of the scholars have said that there is some doubt regarding that. Rather, what would be correct is that this is the statement of Abu Hurairah himself, not linked all the way to being the statement of the Prophet ﷺ. And that is in line with the remainder of the evidences where the majority of them indicate that the Basmala is not the opening ayah of Al-Fatiha and it is not to be read loud. The second hadith now here says that Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu said, كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِذَا فَرَغَ مِنْ قِرَاءَةِ أُمِّ الْقُرْآنِ رَفَعَ صَوْتَهُ وَقَالَ آمِينَ رواه الدار قطني وحسنة والحاكم وصحها The second narration says that uh, Abu Hurairah anhu says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he used to finish reciting Al-Fatiha, when he used to finish reciting Ummul Qur'an, the Fatiha, then he would raise his voice at the end and say, in a loud voice, in a raised voice, Ameen. And this is narrated by Ad-Dara Qutni and Al-Hakim, uh, and Al-Hakim considered it to be authentic. So this hadith, the shaykh says, the shaykh al-Fawzan, هذا الحديث في حكم التأمين. This hadith clearly also talks about the ruling regarding saying, Ameen. And just as we've mentioned in the previous narration, it's the same ruling that at the end of the Fatiha, a person says, Ameen. In the loud prayer, then the person says it loudly also. Finish the recitation, غير المغضوب عليهم والضالين. Then also loud, Ameen. وعن عبد الله, the next hadith. عن عبد الله ابن أبي أوفى رضي الله عنهما قال عبد الله ابن أبي أوفى رضي الله عنهما says جاء رجل إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وقال A man came to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and said إِنِّي لَا أَسْتَطِيعُ أَنْ أَخُذَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ شَيْئًا فَعَلِّمْنِي مَا يُجْزِئُنِي مِنْهُ A man came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, I am not able to memorize anything from the Qur'an, not even the Fatiha. The man said, I am unable to take anything from the Qur'an. So teach me something I can recite that will suffice me in place of the Fatiha in the prayer. He said, I'm not able to do anything. Nothing from the Qur'an I have memorized. Not even the Fatiha. So teach me something that I can say that will suffice me in place of that. فقال, so the Prophet ﷺ said, قُلْ say, Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wala ilaha illallah, وَاللَّهُ أَكْبَرُ وَلَا حَوْلَ وَلَا قُوَّةَ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ عَلْعَلِيِّ الْعَظِيمِ الْحَدِيثِ 
So they are the words that the Prophet ﷺ then taught that individual. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, this hadith therefore now, فِيهِ بَيَانُ أَنَّ مَنْ عَجَزَ عَنْ قِرَاءَةِ الْفَاتِحَةِ فَإِنَّهُ يَأْتِي بِهَذَا الدِّكَرِ That a person who is unable to recite the Fatiha, a person hasn't memorized anything from the Qur'an, not even Surah Al-Fatiha. So then what does he do in the prayer? What does he recite in the raka'at of the prayer? Then this supplication that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, that is the supplication that is to be recited. Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar, wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billahi al-ali al-azim. That is the supplication that a person memorizes and recites. Uh, كذلك دل الحديث الآخر دل الحديث الآخر على هذا وهو قوله And there is another hadith which indicates this too. And that is the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, فَإِن كَانَ مَعَكَ قُرْآنٌ فَقْرَأْ In the other hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, If you have any Qur'an, if you have any Qur'an, then recite it. وَإِلَّا Otherwise, if you don't have anything memorized at all, فَاحْمَدِ اللَّهِ Then praise Allah, وَهَلِّلْهُ وَكَبِّرْ ثُمَّ ركع. Then praise Allah uh, and do the, the, the testimony of, of Tawheed and the Takbir, i.e. this exact supplication. Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar, wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billahi al-aliyil azim. So the other hadith indicates the same thing. If you have Qur'an, then recite it. If you don't have anything, not even Fatiha, then recite this supplication and that suffices you in the Raka'ah. And then the Prophet ﷺ says, after reciting that supplication, ثُمَّرْكَعْ Then you can go into the ruku' thereafter. وَدَلَّ الْحَدِيثِ أَيْضًا The hadith also indicates, عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الصَّلَاةَ لَا تَسْقُطُ بِحَالٍ مِنَ الْأَحْوَالِ this hadith also indicates something else. What else does this hadith indicate? A man came to the Prophet wasallam and he said, I don't know anything from the Qur'an, not even the Fatiha, he didn't know. So teach me something that I can read in place of it. So the Prophet wasallam taught him something to recite in place of it. What does that indicate about the prayer? The prayer... It is not excusable under any circumstance. Not even if a person doesn't know the Fatiha. Not even in a situation where a person doesn't know Surah Al-Fatiha, can it be said that you are now excused from the prayer. It is not the case. A person cannot be excused from the prayer even if they haven't even memorized Surah Al-Fatiha. Then they read this dua instead. Read this dua instead and pray. So the prayer does not drop in any circumstance. وَعَلَى الْإِنسَانِ أَنْ يُسَلِّيَ عَلَىٰ حَسَبِ اسْتِطَاعَتِهِ The shaykh says, upon the person is that he prays in accordance to his level of ability, whatever his circumstance is. فَهَذَا رَجْلٌ لَا يَسْتَطِيعُ قِرَاءَةَ الْفَاتِحَةِ So this individual, the shaykh says, couldn't even recite al-fatiha. وَهِيَ رُكْنٌ مِنْ أَرْكَانِ الصَّلَاةِ And that's one of the pillars of the prayer. وَمَعَ هَذَا لَمْ تَسْقُطْ عَنْهُ الصَّلَاةِ Despite that, the prayer does not drop from him. He is not excused from it. Even though he couldn't even recite the Fatiha. بَلْ أَمَرَ 
an ya'tiya aw bal umira an ya'tiya bima yastati' rather he was commanded to pray with whatever he could and that was that supplication subhanallah walhamdulillah wa la ilaha illallah wallahu akbar wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah al ali al azim then after that the hadith of abu qatada an abi qatada radiyallahu anhu qal kana rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yusalli bina abu qatada radiyallahu anhu says that the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he used to pray or lead us in prayer he used to lead us in prayer fayaqra'u fi adh-dhuhr wal 'asr fi ar-raka'atayn al-awliyayn bi-fatihah al-kitab wa suratayn وَيُسْمِعُنَا الْآيَةَ أَحْيَانًا وَيُطَوِّلُ الرَّكَعَةَ الْأُولَى وَيَقْرَأُ فِي الْأَخِيرَيْنِ وَيَقْرَأُ فِي الْأُخْرَيَيْنِ بِفَاتِحَةِ الْكِتَابِ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ In this hadith now of Abu, Abu Qatada, which is agreed upon Al-Bukhari and Muslim, he says that the Prophet ﷺ used to lead us in prayer. And he used to recite in Dhuhr and Asr in the first two raka'at, the Fatiha and a Surah. He used to recite the Fatiha and a Surah after the Fatiha. Then in the second raka'at, the Fatiha and a Surah after the Fatiha. And sometimes he says that the Prophet ﷺ would allow us to hear the ayah. He would allow us to hear the recitation. And sometimes he would or he would elongate the first raka'ah, and he would recite in the final two raka'at, in Dhuhr and Asr, the Fatiha. What does all of this mean? Firstly, that it is mentioned now in this hadith from the sunnah, is to elongate the first two raka'at of Dhuhr and Asr. When a person is praying Dhuhr and Asr, it's four raka'at dhuhr, four raka'at asr. So a person is to elongate raka'ah number one and raka'ah number two, the first two raka'at of dhuhr. And similarly, when praying asr, to elongate the first two raka'at of asr. And then the second two, they are shorter. The first two are longer, the second two are shorter. In dhuhr and asr. Al-fa'idah thaniya, the second benefit to be taken here is, أَنَّ الرَّكَعَةَ الْأُولَىٰ مِنَ الظُّهُرْ وَالْعَصَرْ تَكُونُ أَطْوَلُ مِنَ الرَّكَعَةِ الثَّانِيَةِ That also, the first raka'ah of dhuhr and asr, أَنَّ الرَّكَعَةَ الْأُولَىٰ مِنَ الظُّهُرْ وَالْعَصَرْ تَكُونُ أَطْوَلُ مِنَ الرَّكَعَةِ الثَّانِيَةِ That the first raka'ah, that in of itself is longer than the second raka'ah in dhuhr and asr. So when a person is praying Dhuhr and Asr, the first raka'ah, you recite the Fatiha, and then you recite something else from the Qur'an. Then in the second raka'ah, you recite Al-Fatiha and something else from the Qur'an, but shorter than your first raka'ah. So that your first raka'ah from Dhuhr and your first raka'ah from Asr is longer than your second raka'ah in the Dhuhr and the second raka'ah in the Asr. Then... From the benefits also we understand أَنْ يَقْرَعَ بَعْدَ الْفَاتِحَةِ شَيْئًا مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ فِي رَكَعَتَيْنَ الْأُولِيَيْنِ 
that a person after reciting the Fatiha is supposed to read some other Quran in the first two raka'at, in the Dhuhr and the Asr. In the first two raka'at, after reading the Fatiha, you're supposed to read some other ayat of the Quran after that. As opposed to the third and the fourth. In the third and the fourth, that is not mentioned. But in the first and the second, it is mentioned. That it is something that should be done that a person recites other ayat after the Fatiha. Al-Fa'idatul Rabi'ah, the fourth benefit to be taken here. أَنَّهُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ كَانَ يُسِرُّ الْقِرَاءَ فِي صَلَاةِ الظُّهْرُ وَالْعَسَرُ وَلَا يَجْهَرُ بِهَا That the Prophet ﷺ used to recite in the Dhuhr and the Asr quietly. They are quiet prayers. And the Prophet ﷺ did not used to read out loud in the Dhuhr and the Asr prayers. الْفَائِدَةُ الْخَامِسَةُ The fifth benefit here. أَنَّهُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ كَانَ يُسْمِعُهُمُ الْآيَ أَحْيَانًا فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْجَهْرَ بِبَعْضِ الْآيَاتِ فِي صَلَاةِ الظُّهْرِ أَوْ الْعَسْرِ لَا بَأْسَ بِهِ لَكِنَّ الْغَالِبَ مِنْ فِعْلِهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم الْإِسْرَارِ It's mentioned in the hadith that sometimes, on some occasions, in the dhuhr and in the asr prayer, the quiet prayers, the Prophet ﷺ would recite some ayat with a slightly raised voice so that the congregation could hear. Even though it's a quiet prayer, the Dhuhr and the Asr prayers. It's mentioned in this hadith in Bukhari a Muslim that the Prophet ﷺ on occasion, on occasion he would recite the ayat in a louder voice to be heard by the congregation. So the Shaykh says, even though the majority of the evidences the majority of how the Prophet ﷺ used to pray in Dhuhr al-Asr was quietly, silent. On occasion, he would allow them to hear. So the Shaykh says, if that occurred on occasion, then again, it cannot be something that an issue is made out of. If it was on occasion that a person leading, perhaps raised his voice with an ayah, and then uh, quietly for the remainder of the prayer, then it's not something that would become an issue. Since the Prophet ﷺ did that on occasion, as is mentioned in this hadith. Even though as we know, then majoritively speaking with regards to the dhuhr and the asr prayer, it is to be done in silence. The next section will start the next time. The next section is now going to speak about what surahs the Prophet ﷺ used to recite in particular prayers. And how many ayat, how many ayat did the Prophet ﷺ used to recite in particular prayers? So did the Prophet ﷺ used to recite long surahs or short surahs? When did he used to recite the long surahs in which prayers? When did he used to recite the short surahs in which prayers? So now this next section will start the next time is going to discuss 
what the Prophet ﷺ used to recite from the ayat after the Fatiha in each of the prayers. What did he used to recite in the Dhuhr and the Asr, in the Maghrib, in the Fajr, in the Isha? How long were they? When did he recite the short ones? When did he recite the long ones? That detail is not going to be mentioned in the following few hadith. And it's even going to mention the specific surahs. Maybe the Prophet ﷺ used to recite a particular surah in a particular prayer. So all of those details will come inshaAllah in the next section, which will begin in the next lesson inshaAllah ta'ala. So we'll conclude upon that today. Uh, if there's any questions and we're able to take them, we'll take them. Otherwise, we'll conclude upon that point. No other questions? There were some questions that were sent earlier from two children. If I recall, five and three, I think. Or something of that age. One of those questions was, what's the language that the people are going to speak in paradise or in the hereafter? Or what's the language that Allah will speak to the people in? There was a question similar to that. Something along the lines of, what language... Um, what language will Allah speak to us in, in Jannah? The questioner was a five-year-old. So what language will Allah speak to us in Jannah? The language that we will speak in the hereafter. So what is it? Arabic? What's your evidence? Arabic? Definitely. Regarding the language that will be spoken in the hereafter, in paradise, many of the scholars, they say regarding that, Allahu A'lam. Many of the scholars say regarding it that it's not definitive. We can't say definitively that it will be Arabic. Because we simply don't have a definitive proof saying that. We don't have a definitive hadith that says it's certainly Arabic, the language of the hereafter. It doesn't, the evidence in that explicit way doesn't exist. And so many of the scholars, many of the scholars, they take the opinion that we can't have the certainty and say with definitiveness, absolute certainty that yes, it's Arabic. Because we don't have the evidences. There is one narration that sometimes is quoted by some of the people that you should uh, love the Arabs for certain reasons. Or there is a narration to this effect. And one of the things mentioned, or there are three characteristics mentioned in that hadith. One of them is because the Qur'an is in the language of Arabic. Uh, and one of them is that the language of the hereafter will be Arabic. And there's a third factor mentioned, I forget now. But there are three things mentioned in this hadith. One of them is that the language of the hereafter will be Arabic. However, many of the scholars have said this hadith, it is either fabricated or, or extremely weak at the minimum. So that hadith is not authentic. There is another narration though. There is one more narration where it mentions that the people of paradise will be of the age of Isa alayhi salam, 33, before he was raised up, when he was raised up. The age of 33, that the people of paradise will be 33. 
and that they will speak with the language of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, which is Arabic. That hadith, some of the scholars say, it could be sufficient in authenticity to use. Some of the scholars they say that hadith could be sufficient in its authenticity, in its strength to use as an evidence. So therefore, some of them will use that narration as something to back up the statement that yes, it will be Arabic, the language of the hereafter. Because this hadith says the language of the people will be the language of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and that's Arabic. But some of the scholars again, they say even this narration, it's doubtful, it's authenticity. Some of the uh, uh, narrators and the chain and the links in the chain, there's some breakage within it, etc. So some of the scholars, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah included, and others, they say, we don't have any explicit, clear-cut evidence telling us that the language of the hereafter is Arabic. We don't have that. So they say, we can't say with definitiveness, with certainty that it's Arabic. And in fact, I believe it was Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah who said, actually we don't need to have a discussion about that. We don't actually need to work out or find out what the language of the hereafter will be. Shaykh Ubaid al-Jabiri, Hafizahullah, same thing. He said that what is clear or what appears to be clear is that the people will understand each other, whatever the language is. And what is clear is that Allah will speak to the people that it's mentioned in the hadith. Allah will speak to the individuals. لَيْسَ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَهُ تَرْجُمَانَ That there will not be any interpreter between them. So all of that is established. But as to what language that will be in, then we don't need to actually discuss that. It's not something that will actually bring us an additional benefit. Now, so some of the scholars said it's something additional and extracurricular that doesn't really need discussion. So that's what the scholars mentioned regarding the language of the hereafter. Some of them may say it is Arabic using some of those types of evidences. But others they say we don't have any definitive proof. And therefore we stay out of that. We don't start making definitive statements that it is definitely Arabic. Because we don't have the explicit proof or authentic proof to say that. There was another question from a three-year-old. And that was regarding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There was a question regarding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the religion of Islam. The choice that Allah has made regarding the religion. We know that Islam is the religion that Allah has told us and commanded us to practice. Allah says in the Quran, إِنَّ الدِّينَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ الْإِسْلَامِ That indeed the religion with Allah, the chosen religion is Islam. And in fact, in another ayah Allah says, وَمَنْ يَبْتَغِي غَيْرَ الْإِسْلَامِ دِينًا فَلَنْ يُقْبَلَ مِنْ That whoever tries to find a different religion, they want to go and seek out or go and get a different religion, then it will not be accepted. So Allah does not accept anything outside of Islam. Allah only accepts Islam and that is the religion that Allah has chosen and that is the religion that Allah gave to all of the prophets and messengers. Allah gave Islam that revelation of Tawheed and Islam to all of the prophets and messengers. 
So if anybody is asking about Allah with regards to the religions, then clearly the answer without a doubt is that Islam is the religion of Allah. And Allah has chosen that religion for us. Islam is the religion of Allah, meaning that's the religion that Allah has chosen for us. Islam, As the ayah says in the Quran. That is the religion Allah has chosen for us. That is the religion we must practice and implement. That is the religion that Allah sent down to all of the prophets and messengers. So that is what Allah mentions in the Quran. As for the other religions, then they are incorrect in terms of the shirk that they are upon, believing that Allah has sons and other partners, etc. Rather, this is the religion of Tawheed, and this is the religion that Allah commands all of the people to be upon. Allah said in the Quran, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Allah said, I didn't create the jinn or the humans, us, all of us. He didn't create us except for one reason. Allah tells us in the Quran, He created us for one reason, and that is, إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ So that we worship Him. How do we worship Him? As the Salaf said, the tafsir of this ayah, إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ is, that Allah only created us so that we can worship Him alone upon Tawheed. And that is the religion of the Muslims, Islam. So no doubt, this is the religion that Allah has chosen for us to worship Him with. So we'll conclude upon that point today. وَصَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَى نَبِيْنَا مُحَمَّدُ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ